Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Clay Scroggins and was recorded on Sunday, June 25th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You could also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Clay. Well, I'm so glad we talked about how difficult that is sometimes to sing a line like you have never let me down and you have always been good and you are always faithful because it doesn't always feel that way, right? And when you get a diagnosis or when you have a situation like you all had this past week, and I, I got to be honest with you, I had no idea that you had storms like you had. My wife and I, we live in Atlanta, Georgia. My wife's from Texas, and so we keep track of what's happening in Texas. But we had sent our older three kids to camp. Pine Cove has a camp outside of Atlanta now. So our kids were there. Three of our kids were there. Two of our kids were with my parents. And so we decided, well, we got to get out of here because uh, we love our children, but we love being away from them as well because we love each other. And so we went to Europe. We have some friends in Portugal. We were in Portugal for the week. We were doing wonderful. It was a, a wonderful vacation. And Justin, who works here and helps put your, uh, so much of this on, uh, Justin texted me and said, hey, uh, during the storm, said, where are you and what time do you get in on Saturday? I said, it's late Saturday night. I don't know. Do you want to go hang out? You want to go out? What are we doing? You know? <laughs> And he said, no, we're having terrible storms and we're thinking we don't have power. We're not sure what's going to happen. I thought, oh my goodness, I had no idea. And I know so many of you have been affected in so many different ways. And I just, for one, want to say, I am so sorry. And two, I am so glad we stopped in the middle of that song to recognize how challenging those words are sometimes. It really made me emotional to think about how beautiful church is. And I don't know, not everybody in here is a Jesus follower. Maybe somebody invited you and you're trying to figure out where you are with your faith, but can we just stop for one moment and recognize what a remarkable moment it is to be able to gather together with other people. We've got people in the communion environment, people watching online even, people in this room, to be able to remind ourselves of these incredibly faith-filled statements that reframe life, right? That God, you have, no matter what I face, no matter what I experience, that you have never let me down because my hope is in you. My hope is not in my circumstances. That is so significant. What a powerful moment for us to be able to do that. And so before we even jump into the sermon, because I did think for a second as we were singing, I was like, we don't even need a sermon. Let's just shut it down, say amen, and all go to lunch, right? But I flew here and prepared this sermon. And so I I feel like I got to at least deliver on what they're asking me to do. Um, But before we even move any further, I just wanted to stop and I just wanted to pray. I want to pray for you, but I also want you to pray for each other. I know we've got people all around. If we could only see what every person is dealing with. We've got people that are carrying extreme anxiety or a lot of fear about the future or fear about the past. We've got people that are dealing with loss, that are dealing with heavy things. And one of the beauties of the church is that we are together, that we are here with each other, carrying our burdens, celebrating our joys together. And so I just want to stop for just a moment and let's just thank God for that. Let's pray for each other. And I just want to also take a moment and pray for you and pray for this moment as well. So let's, um, let's pray together. Father, we just stop and recognize that you are God 
and also you are good. No matter what we face, we choose to say it. Our faith informs us to say it and to believe it, that you are good. You bring beauty from ashes. You bring life from death. You bring peace and joy and order and goodness, even in chaos. And so that statement, it is a statement of faith that you have never let us down, that you are always faithful, that you will always be faithful. We just remind ourselves that, and we just, with our presence and with our encouragement and our comfort, we just remind each other that. So we just lift each other up. We lift up the burdens that are in this room, that are here today with us, whether physically or even in spirit. We lift up the heavy things that we're all carrying, and we hand them over to you. We cast all of our anxiety onto you because you care for us. How silly is it to try to carry something that we are not equipped to carry, and so we throw it onto you. And we just ask you to allow us to experience that peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that comes from knowing that you hold the whole world in your hands. And therefore, you hold us in your hands. And we just invite you into this space. We ask you to speak. You have spoken for generation after generation through your word. And we ask you to do it today in real personal and meaningful ways. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Acts 12, Acts 12. We've been trucking through Acts together, which uh, I absolutely love Acts. If you're unfamiliar with Acts, Acts was written by a doctor, Dr. Luke. Luke is the eyewitness uh, who also interviewed loads of people about the life of Jesus. He wrote one of the gospels, the gospel called Luke, but he also gives us Acts, which is the story of the first church. And so we're gonna be in Acts 12. If you need a Bible, just throw your hand up in the air and wave it around and they will give you one. It is our gift to you. We would love to give this to you. You can give it back, you can leave it, or you can keep it and take it home with you. Uh, but we'd love for you to be able to read along with us. We're gonna put it up on the screen. If you like reading your Bible on technology, please get out your Bible app. Uh, that's more than, you're more than welcome to do that in, in, uh, while I'm preaching for sure. And if you need to text people or respond to email because you're tired of the sermon already, go for it. I'll never even know. I'll just think you're reading the Bible. So it's just a way that I protect myself and my own sense of confidence and security. Acts 12. Acts 12 is, um, it's a really, we're, we're getting to a real, it's, it's a linchpin. It's a moment of transition throughout the story of the first church where we're seeing this constant persecution but we're also seeing a remarkable amount of growth. A lot of people would think, oh, the persecution would snuff out the early church. The persecution would shut down the growth of the church. But as so many of you are aware of, it, it, it's, it actually has done the opposite. That the persecution of these first century followers of Jesus who are putting their faith in a resurrected savior Growth is explosive despite the harsh persecution. There are three main characters in Acts 12. We're going to look at Acts 12, verse 1 through 19. There is Herod, who is a ruler. Herod is very sensitive and kind toward Jewish men and women, and therefore he shows a lot of aggressiveness toward 
Christians, toward followers of the way. We have Herod, we have Peter and the followers of Jesus. I'll lump all of them together in one, but the story is about something that happens to Peter and something miraculous that happens to Peter as well because of prayer. The essence of Acts 12 is really all about prayer. And I gotta be honest with you, when I was in seminary, they would always say, if you preach on your weaknesses, you never run out of things to preach about. I am not an expert on prayer. In fact, this is a weakness of mine. Just like it's maybe hard for you sometimes to pray or you think you're too busy to pray or you think you have too much going on to pray. Uh, My wife and I, we were talking about it this week because we've been in this passage together as I've been getting ready for this. We feel the same way. Prayer is not, believe deeply in it, but it's not always easy. You wouldn't always notice that I believe in it based on the way I live. And so I feel like I'm sitting in the seat with you as we're all looking to see what God might teach us through Acts 12. So we have Herod, we have Peter, and all of the followers of Jesus in the first century, his local community of believers, his church. And then we also have God and something remarkable that God does. And I just got to warn you too, there's a lot of preface up front to this, really uh, squeezing all the juice I can before we even get into it. If you're a person who is highly rational, if you're a person that loves things that make sense, if you're a person that loves having an answer to a question, if you're a person that has a hard time with mystery, you're gonna have a hard time with Acts 12 because there is a lot of mystery in Acts 12. I uh, graduated from college with a degree in engineering. Now, I'm not doing that to flex on you or anything. They asked me never to use the degree. They said, we will give it to you, but we would prefer you not tell anyone about it or ever use it in any form or fashion. But I do subscribe to that line of thinking. I really, I like things that have order. I like things that have answers. I like things that have explanations. I like precision. And so I struggle personally. I struggle with Acts 12. And so I'm not gonna try to apologize for what is written here. I'm just gonna tell you, I believe this happened. I believe it happened for a number of reasons. Not because it makes sense. It makes no sense. I believe it happened because there were eyewitnesses that wrote about it. There were eyewitnesses that gave their life. They didn't get rich off of this. They died because of this. But over and over again, when pressed, they would say, I have to give an account for what I have seen and I have heard. And so Luke and so many other eyewitnesses of this story They're the ones that I really trust and believe in, that they give us this story. So here's the way it goes. Acts 12, chapter 1. Let's get into it. It goes like this. It was about the time, about this time, that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. In fact, verse 2, specifically, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So we're going to talk about prayer and all that prayer accomplishes and all that prayer does and all that prayer hopes to do. However, you got to stop for just a second and recognize we are a room filled with unanswered prayers and a room filled with answered prayers. Some of you are going, oh yeah, my answered prayer is sitting right beside me. Can I get a hallelujah? Right? That's some of you. And some of you are going, My answered prayer is not sitting. My answered prayer is that someone is not sitting next to me. In fact, some of you would even go, 
My unanswered prayer is the only reason why I'm sitting next to the person I'm sitting next to now. We all have that, right? The person that you prayed for and hoped for and longed for and wished for, and now you thank God that you're not with that person, right? Don't act like you haven't been on Facebook to see what's going on in their life. You know, and this is what's bizarre about the mix that we all have is that there's James's family who desperately prayed that James would be released and he wasn't, he died. And then there are men and women who are going to desperately pray for Peter and they're going to see the other side of prayer. And this is what is so hard to put our finger on, so hard for us to understand, but we have to accept the reality that there's so much mystery in it. God is not one that we can just figure out like an ATM code or like a vending machine code. No, this is, this is perplexing. And so James, the brother of Jesus, his family's in mourning. In fact, we, don't, we think based on what Peter says later on that Peter doesn't even know that James has passed away because when Herod sees, verse three, when he saw that this met with the approval of Jews, Herod loves popularity. We're gonna talk about that next week when we get to Acts 13. He proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So he probably was chained to one on each side and they were working shift work. They were just trading. All right, it's my turn, it's your turn, it's my turn, it's your turn. We're just going back and forth. Chained to Peter one on each side. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, verse five. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now we gotta we got stop right there for just a second because we can't miss the beauty of how Luke puts that. He goes, Peter's locked up. But these earnest prayers of these men and women that loved him have been loosed. They're about to set him free. The prayers, the powerful prayers of earnest Jesus followers that love Peter, they stand in stark contrast to his bondage. These prayers are not in bondage. These prayers are free. These prayers have the power to set free. And so he juxtaposes Peter being locked up and the power of these prayers that can set free. And so you get this picture. Like so many of you have experienced, this is the beauty of church. When you find out that men and women, some that you know, some that you might not even know, are praying for you, are lifting you up, are begging God on your behalf. Does prayer work? It depends on what you mean by work, right? I mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes we're gonna see it, it has other purposes. But in this case, look at what happens. This is where it gets wild, all right? This feels like a Beatles song when they were in that season where they were trying a bunch of different stuff, right? <laughs> the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, why, why was Peter sleeping? 
I think he was sleeping because he was so at peace. It's hard to sleep when you're not at peace. Some of you are like, tell me about it, right? How many of you are dog owners? Any of you dog owners? Do you, you, you have a dog? Our, our, um, our family has a dog. I almost said my wife has a dog because that's the reality of it. Our family has a dog, but my wife really has a dog that is her favorite uh, soul. In our, and it depends on if you think their dog is, has a soul or not. But she, the, the dog is her favorite, definitely. Above the kids, above me. She loves this dog. And this dog follows her around everywhere. And um, it's uh, the dog, you know, when, when the dog sleeps near her, the dog feels so comfortable. And if you heard this, there's some psychology around what you, you can tell how a dog feels based on how a dog sleeps, right? Because this dog, when this dog is like really feeling good, this dog will sleep on his back with his paws straight up in the air, right? Any of you have a dog that does this? I mean, such peace. And supposedly people that study the canines, these furry friends, People that study them tell us that that shows you a dog who's feeling real safe, a dog that's feeling very loved, a dog that feels very accepted, a dog that is at peace. And so what I kind of picture with Peter is I picture him between these two guards, which the anxiety of the trial coming up aside, how many of you could go to sleep when you're chained next to two soldiers, right? I mean, I could not, but I just picture Peter on his back, hands up in the air, feeling so at peace, just knocked out. God, I am in your hands. Oh, and also, I've got men and women, brothers and sisters who love me, who are earnestly praying on my behalf. And so that's the stage in which God is about to do this remarkable work. Verse seven, suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and a light shone in the cell. I don't know if the angel of the Lord turned his cell phone on and shined a light in the cell. I don't know, but a light shines in the cell. An angel of the Lord is there, and the angel struck Peter on the side. Now, it says struck him on the side to welcome him. So it's not like banged him, hit him, but more like a poke, you know, like a, hey, Peter, just need, I'm, I'm here to wake you up, buddy. I don't know. We don't know what happened to the soldiers at this moment. We'll find out a little bit later on, but as far as we know, the angel just kind of slips in there, pokes Peter on the side, wakes Peter up, and says to Peter, quick, get up. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Verse 8. And then the angel said to Peter, he's not done, he's got more talking to do. Which would mean I would have more freaking out to do, right? The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And so Peter did that. I love that. The angel's like, hey, grab your stuff. You know, okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him, verse nine. And so Peter followed the angel out of the prison because when an angel wakes you up and says, follow me, you say, sure, of course, <laughs> absolutely. Where are we going? Particularly when you're in a dungy, dirty, dusty, nasty Roman prison, okay? Just a pro tip for some prison... Uh, courtesy, when an angel wakes you up and says, come with me, that chains have fallen off your wrist, you just say, okay, let's go, right? Vamanos, as we say, right? And, and wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. He had no idea what was really happening. And he thought that he was seeing a vision. So Peter's like, am I dreaming? This is crazy, which I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on whether or not we should give Peter grace for this. Because on one hand, I'm like, bro, Total, I get it. I would think I was in a dream. Who wouldn't? This is not real life. 
On the other hand, after all that he's seen, this is not the first time that an angel has come to his, to, to, to his help, to his side. I mean, this has happened to Peter before. Oh, by the way, the Savior, the Messiah, his rabbi, who, whom he left everything to follow, he had just watched him be crucified on a cross. Three days later, the tomb is empty. He's resurrected from the dead. He's appearing to them in this unusual form, human, showing them his scars, but also floating through walls and stuff, you know? So it's like, Peter, what, what do you mean? You thought it was a vision. How did you not think this is normal at this point? But it's so astonishing, so bizarre, so hard to wrap your mind around. Even Peter was like, he's telling Luke, I guess. Luke's writing all this down. He's like, hey, make sure to put in there. I kind of thought I was dreaming, okay, truthfully. I, I, it's not like I was all filled with faith. Like, oh, won't he do it, you know? Here he is again, setting me free. No, I was like, this is kind of crazy. I think I'm dreaming, okay? And so Luke's like, okay, well, I'll put it in there. It's gonna make you look weak. And he's like, well, I understand. That's a little, you gotta put it in there, because that's real. And so verse 10, they passed the first, and then it's not, the, the angel's not done yet. The angel's like going all like Harry Potter on this jail, right? The, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. No emails about the Harry Potter, by the way, please. Like I just, it just hit me for a split second. Like I don't, not that you would even email me, but just don't, I, whatever you think about it, just let's just move that to the side. Don't get distracted by that. <laughs> they passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city and, it, and the gate just opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And so Peter is now, I mean, how bizarre. Now he's just like standing in the middle of the city being like, well, that's an odd chain of events that has just transpired, right? I gotta, I gotta make sure to remember this so that I can put it in my memoir. That was quite, a, quite an experience I just had. And he's also like, Oh no, what do I do now? I'm a fugitive on the run, right? And so he thinks to himself, how do we know that? Well, because verse 11 says it. Then Peter came to himself and said, self, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen to me. Ha ha ha, joke's on you. I'm free. Your boy got the keys. I'm out, right? And so he's like, I'm good. Verse 12. And so when, the, it, when this had dawned on him, he remembered, oh, I've got these friends that are praying for me. And so he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. And Peter, now this is where it gets hilarious. Okay, and I'm not going to try to help you see the humor. You don't need me to help you see it. You're going to see it all by yourself. Check this out. Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda, probably around the age of 10. Uh, Rhoda means rose. That one's for free. You don't have to pay for that one, but that's what a commentary taught me. It means nothing to me, but it might mean something to you if you're like all into the names, meanings of names. But Rhoda, this 10-year-old girl, you know, they're, they're praying. So like, we're doing serious work. What are they praying for, by the way? Peter's release, okay? Keep that in your mind when you, when you realize what is happening. And so they go, Rhoda, we're praying. Would you mind going and getting the door, seeing who that is, and, and reminding them that, that the commotion's kind of bothering us because we're praying right now for Peter's release. And so Rhoda goes, no problem. I'll go shoo them away and tell them that you're doing the real hard work of praying. And so she goes to the door, verse 14, and, and she recognized Peter's voice. And she was overjoyed, so overjoyed that she ran back into the room without opening the door, which I'm sure Peter's like, 
Yoo-hoo! Uh, again, fugitive on the run here. Uh, I would love it if you would let me in, and then I'd be happy to give you the whole story. But you're kind of hanging me out to dry here, Rhoda, right? But Rhoda was so excited, and then, this isn't Rhoda's fault, she gets into the room and she exclaims, Peter's at the door! Which you would have thought their response would have been, hallelujah, God answers prayers. Praise God would have been very appropriate, sure. By the way, they're praying for Peter's release. But look at their response. They they say, you're out of your mind, which I want, I don't know, that, the way I hear it in my mind, I'm like, girl, you are crazy. Like, what have you been, ta- what, what are you on? What is going on in your life? Like, stop it. Get out of here with that. That's not even cool, okay? Like, maybe they thought she's like pulling their leg, like, oh, Rhoda's such a prankster. Here she goes again. She's like, I'm just kidding. It's DoorDash. Did somebody order some food, right? <laughs> I'm sure they were like, quit, quit, Rhoda, with all the joking. Now's not the time, okay? We're praying for Peter's release. And she's like, no, I'm serious. It is Peter. She's, they're like, how do you know? She's like, I know his voice. Like, it's a very unique voice. I got it. It's Peter. And then they, she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, well, it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter kept on knocking because Peter's like, again, I'm on the run. I was just in prison. Also, why did you all not have any faith that God could do this? Oh, was it too fast that God answered your prayer too quickly? Come on. Like every other time you're like, God, heal. And then you're mad that he doesn't immediately. This time you're like, God, release. And then, bam, I'm here. But you're like, no, can't be. And you're like, where, where, come on. Where's your faith? He was so many just banging on the door, you know? And with every bang, getting more and more agitated and angry, they finally opened up the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Rightfully so, of course they were. Like, I'm sure they all looked at each other, oh my gosh, it worked. You know, like, well, we prayed, and then here, this is amazing. But see, they know better. Because they also know, yeah, but we prayed for James, and he died from the sword. I don't know how to make sense of why God does what God does when God does what he does, but clearly we begged, we earnestly prayed, we hoped, wished, got on our knees, and God did it. He's here. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's miraculous. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Again, he's like, uh, again, I don't want to go back, okay? So can y'all shh, right? Describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And see, he, he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. He, he doesn't even know yet that James has been killed, he said, and then he left for another place. And in the morning, there was, no, I love this. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers. Luke was like, it was a thing. I mean, people were talking about it. It was quite a commotion. And this is not something to be celebrated, but look at what happens among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And so after Herod did a thorough search, did a thorough investigation made for him, he did not find Peter. And so he cross-examined the guards and he ordered that they be executed again. Now their families are mourning. So, so we, we just, it, it, it's hard to make sense out of it. It's hard to understand why does God do what God does, when God does what God does. But I want to give you just three simple applications that I feel like God is teaching me about this. You might have your own. I pray that you do. The first one is this. We need to pray like miracles still happen. I mean, g- good on the brothers and sisters 
who are on their knees earnestly begging God, please release our dear friend. He's, he's in prison. It's not right. He's getting persecuted. God, please release him. Some of you have things like that. You've got a wayward child, a wayward daughter or son. You've got a health diagnosis. You've got some job situation. You, you, you've got, maybe you feel like you're, you're single and you're one a day. I mean, who knows what it might be. Pray like miracles still happen because sometimes God moves. This is the bizarre part of God that I cannot understand. It seems as though there are things that God wants to do, blessings that he wants to give that he's only going to give if we ask him. I don't know why he does it that way, but over and over again, we see stories throughout scripture, but you all have your stories as well. You have your own story of how God came through, how God did the unthinkable. You can't even believe it. I mean, it, it, between services, Pastor Ken is telling me about even the land that you're on right now is an example of God choosing to move. So pray like miracles still happen. Beg him. Ask him, beseech him, invite others to pray with you on it. Pray like it happens, because sometimes they do. But what ultimately happens is it gets us in this state, which I think is closer to the real purpose and heart of prayer. I don't know that prayer, I don't know that the purpose of prayer is so that it will work. No, I, I think the purpose of prayer is because of the posture it gets us in. Pr prayer, prayer is the language of the powerless. It's the language of the powerless. Prayer is what those of us do when we have nowhere else to turn. And, and for so many of us, it, 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 it's been a long time since you felt powerless, perhaps. Because you think about it in the first century, they didn't have any other options. They, they were in a, there was a corrupt justice system. Whatever you think about our justice system, it's better than it was then. The, the medical care that they had was so primitive. The hopes of somebody getting better, there, were, there was no hope. Your only hope was that God would move. You, just, you, you prayed because you felt powerless. You prayed because you had no other option. You prayed because God is your only hope. But so many of you are in places, in spaces, in positions, in circumstances where that is still true of you today. And I just want to tell you, as hard as it is, I think it's where God wants to get all of us. Not in like a, he's arm wrestling us and he wants us to say mercy, but because it's where he does his greatest work. When we get in that position of desperate powerlessness, it's where we meet him in the most deepest way possible, in the most intimate way possible. Prayer, it's, it's the language of those who feel hopeless. And all of us are far more hopeless than we could ever realize, except for the power of God. Lastly, I want to talk about why I think we should pray, what ultimately is the purpose of prayer, but I'm going to borrow this statement from a movie that I hesitate to say is one of my favorite movies because it's a really slow movie. 
Um, I'm, you, you can flash it up on the screen. Have any of you seen this movie right here? Just throw your hand up. I'm just curious. Anybody seen it? Yeah, there's like five of you. Um, it, is, it's a, it is tough. It's tough sledding. It is not fast moving. Um, it is not action packed. But it is a beautiful, remarkable story. It's based on a true story. This uh, Shadowlands is based on C.S. Lewis's life. But more specifically, it's based on a real specific part of his life, this relationship that he has with this woman played by Deborah Winger, who they uh, originally were pen pals. That's how they met. But eventually they got married. Eventually they became husband and wife. And unfortunately, eventually she got diagnosed with cancer. And she's battling it back and forth, back and forth. And there's this scene toward the end of the movie where he had been away helping her with some of it, being with her during some of her treatment. And he had been away from Oxford University where he was on faculty there, a professor. And he goes back to a faculty meeting. And you could tell he hadn't seen his friends in a while. And he was still kind of in that daze a little bit. Like, gosh, this is tough to get back into the swing of things. And also, I'm carrying something really heavy. When one of his buddies walks up to him and says to him, says, so how's it going? What's the latest? And he goes, oh, um, you can tell he's, he's kind of, he's not even, he's having a hard time even being present in the moment. Like we've all been there before, right? And he goes, oh, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I, I mean, the last news we just got was good. I mean, they're making progress. It feels like they, they have a plan and they're executing the plan. And, and it, um, yeah, it feels like, it feels like it's going okay. And he goes, oh, great. So your prayers are working. And you can see it on his face. Again, this is Anthony Hopkins playing C.S. Lewis, okay? But he does such a great job embodying what you think C.S. Lewis would feel in that moment because he goes, wait a second, it's working? Like the point of it is that I just punch in the code and God get what? No, that's not what it's about. But, but you can also sense that he's like, but we're in the faculty meeting and I don't need to tell you and you're a professor and I don't have to explain all this to you, but that theology is broken. And so he goes, no, it's not, that's not the way it, it, it's, it I don't, no, I'm not, I'm not praying because it works. And, and here's the quote. This is what he says. Look, look at how remarkable this statement is. He says, I, I don't pray because it's working. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Working is is prayer working? Well, I don't pray because it works. He's saying, he's saying I pray because I have no other option. I don't have to try to pray. I don't have to work to pray. I don't have to think to pray. And some of you are in such a desperate situation. You can relate to that so deeply. You don't have to try to pray. No, I am so broken. I'm so hopeless and I'm so powerless. It just flows out of me all the time. Whether I'm awake, whether I'm asleep, I'm just communing with him. I'm just connecting with him. I'm just begging with him. I'm I'm begging him. I'm, I'm, I'm pouring out my soul, pouring out my heart. That is the point of prayer. Yeah, sometimes it seems like it might change God. Sometimes it seems like it moves God. Other times, though, it 
it just changes us. The, 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 the ultimate purpose of prayer is to know God and to know ourselves, to know him, but also to know me, to know what's really going on inside of me. This is the bizarre part about it. You can't really know God until you know yourself and you can't really know yourself until you know your maker. And the point of prayer is this deeply communal relationship of intimacy between you and the Father. And so the application for this sermon, it seems real silly. I always try to write down what I want people to do. What do I want you to do? What do I want to do for myself? Pray more. Not not because I have to. I mean, I do have to. Not because I'm, it's what I think will work, though sometimes it does. No, I want to pray more because I just, I, I want to know him more. I want you to know him more. I want you to know yourself more. I want you to experience him more. And so I just want, I want to do a little mental exercise before we dismiss. I want you to think about where you live. Think about your home or your apartment. And I want you to just pick a place. I want you to just think about what's the place where I most commonly pray. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's on a walk. I want you to just imagine it. I want you to think about your week. I want you to just set aside some time mentally to think, I'm just going to go there. I'm going to be. I'm going to put my technology away. Maybe you need to get an open notebook. I love getting a journal and writing down, I want, I need, I surrender. I want, I need, I surrender. And then just seeing what comes out. Oftentimes I write things down that I go, I didn't even know I wanted that. Or I write things down and go, I don't know. Am I, I didn't realize that I needed that. Or am I allowed to want that? Do I really need that? Oh, that is actually something I need to surrender. But would you just imagine yourself in that place just getting to know your Savior, getting to know your Maker, communing with Him, letting Him get to know you even though He already knows you, getting to know yourself. We're going to have prayer partners when we're done that we would love to take a moment and pray for you today in this moment. I would love to also just invite you would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And would you just be willing to open up your hands just as a physical symbol of what we believe, that God, you are the one who gives and you are the one who takes away. So God, the burdens in our life, we, we recognize that in a lot of cases, you just, some of them we did to ourselves, but a lot of them, that we didn't want this. It's just here. And then would you just envision just handing that over to him? Just saying, this is, this is for you to carry. I, I can't carry this. I'm giving it to you because I trust you. And you're taking it because you love me. So we just tell you that we, we want to know you more. We want to be with you more to just for no other reason than just to know you more. And, and if you answer it the way we want, great. And if you don't answer it the way we want, we just trust there's something we don't know. You're always at work. You reign on the righteous, you reign on the unrighteous. You're always busy. Not in a busy way, but you're always moving. 
for our good. And so we just trust that whatever it is, that it's going to work out for good for those who are called according to your purpose, even if it doesn't go the way we want. We just open up our hands and we trust you. We want to know you for no other reason, but just because that's the way we were made. That's where we're at our best. In an intimate, perfect relationship with you. And we thank you for Jesus. The only reason we're allowed to have that kind of relationship is because of his death and his life. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.